0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds, a weekly rewatch podcast for TV shows, movies, and who knows, perhaps suggesting that hope is, in fact, harder to do than to be a dick to everybody else. My name is Mike Hilty.
1: And I'm Nick Farrow.
0: How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing all
1: right. It's been quite the day. We're kind of in the midst of a cold here, so I apologize for all the hums <clears> because <throat> uh, there will be plenty. I'll do my best to mute myself when that happens, but yeah, no, it's been a trying couple of days. We all got a little sick. Well, I should say my wife and I got a little sick, so there's nothing like taking care of some kids with an illness on your hand. But otherwise not terrible. Just before my illness started, thankfully, I was able to go see Killers of the Flower Moon, which I mentioned the other day. And it's my understanding that you just saw it as well, finally. I did. You managed to carve out 15 hours to take time off to see that. I did. You are correct. <laughs> what did you think?
0: I actually liked it. I liked oh, it. Good.
1: I felt the length.
0: I did. I appreciated the story. Just
1: white people suck sometimes, you know? That is the general consensus, yes.
0: Wow. We use everything at our disposal to just take advantage of people. And that's really crap. I really liked all the performances. I think De Niro and Lily Gladstone have the best chance at getting some Oscar love. DiCaprio is just a
1: despicable person, ruined through. interesting you say that. Okay. Interesting you say that. Robert and I have been going back and forth on Letterboxd over this exact conversation. I agree with you that De Niro and Lily Gladstone are the two. I wouldn't say a lock. I think come award season, it's going to be Robert De Niro and Robert Downey Jr. in a head-to-head race as to who's getting that best supporting actor, but... As of right now, Lily Gladstone is definitely top of my list for best performances. I don't know if I'd give her a best lead actress, though, because she was so underserved in the story. I was really surprised. The trailers alone made me think she was going to have a bigger role to play. But I don't see Leo... As at least I don't think the movie wants me to think that he's as despicable as everyone else. I think Leo's performance reminded me a lot more, and I said this to Robert, he was more simple Jack than Jesse Pinkman. He wasn't the lackey doing it to get by. He knew what he was doing the whole time, but he had to do it anyway because he didn't have a choice. It really felt more like he was somebody with special needs being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the movie, when the movie is trying to make me relate to Leo, I just didn't buy Aside from the fact that I was exhausted from my 18 and a half hour viewing experience i didn't have it in me to judge leo i'm like he was taken advantage of he is not a person who was really aware of what he was doing for the most part he just thought he was being a good nephew to his uncle and it wasn't until the very end that he realized oh no my uncle's a bad guy and everybody could think oh yeah well no kidding dummy would you say that to somebody who was diagnosed On the spectrum, they don't necessarily know. I have a brother-in-law who is currently sitting in a prison right now because the law doesn't understand that he doesn't understand what he did wrong. Maybe that's my personal experience crossing over into the movie. It just felt very similar in the fact that Leo felt almost like a victim. And at the end of the day, his character is not a good guy. And so the fact that the movie told me he's a victim, I don't like. And then everybody else is saying, no, he's not a victim. He's a bad guy. And I'm like, I watched a different movie. I feel like the movie wanted me to feel sorry for him at the end. So that's my holdup with the movie.
0: Yeah, the runtime was the only thing that was kind of my big holdup. We just talked about this not too long ago with, or I did with a couple other people from Zip Pop. All the performances were great. There was one performance that was just a little too over the top for me. But after kind of talking it over with the two people that I talked to, they kind of convinced me that, yeah, it was meant to be a performance because of the situation that he was in. And it was Brendan Fraser. It's like, oh, oh just, <laughs> I loved him. Yeah. You know.
1: That was a bit much. Brendan but... Fraser shows up and I'm just like, oh, cool. It's Brendan Fraser. And he's just like yelling his head off. It was exactly the shot of adrenaline I needed in that moment to stay awake for the next hour. So... <laughs> yeah. And
0: I really like the ending, just the way that they did that with Scorsese the radio and...
1: broadcast. Yeah.
0: I thought that was pretty interesting. I'd I rather liked they did. I'd rather they did that as opposed to what they normally do in a situation like this, which is to fade to black on
1: screen, dialogue
0: on screen, show a picture of the real life people and then roll the credits.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that it was a unique and good way to end the movie, along with the Osage people dancing as the camera goes up. I thought that that ending was good. I am a little curious as to why Scorsese felt the need to insert himself into the movie there. I'm really interested about that. It seems odd, but I don't know. I would have been much happier to have seen that at the, say, 95-minute mark, as opposed to the 220-minute mark. How long was this movie? (laughs) Like, for real? I keep making it longer. It was really long. It was just shy of three and a half hours, so it's
0: 206
1: minutes. Yikes. Yeah, it was just more and more examples of white people being terrible people, which... They gave us ample examples of earlier in the movie. Like there are key scenes that I would never want to cut from the movie. Like when the fire is blazing and they're showing the fire through the camera. I thought that was really visually stunning. Moments like that, you absolutely can't do without. But there was just so many repetitive and unnecessary scenes. And that was my issue. Eventually, you need to justify that three-hour runtime. And if I the amateur can think of several full scenes that could just be removed completely and not take away from what you're trying to get across. It's too long. I had the same problem with Babylon. I really liked a lot of Babylon, but at a certain point, I was just like, get on with it. Like, mm-hmm. But okay. i never once felt that way about Oppenheimer. So I'm not like a long movie snob. Like I like a good long movie. I just, it needs to justify it and it needs to be entertaining. Like, Don't depress me for three hours. I don't want that. What do you say? Do you think we should get into the episode and stop going back and forth (laughs) on Martin Scorsese's supposed masterpiece? Yeah,
0: let's do it. This week we will be watching and talking about Season 2, Episode 4 of Loki, Heart of the TVA.
1: A time there was a lovely princess. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help.
0: Alright, Nick, it's moments like this that has me convinced that the internet is listening to us because we got nine seconds of Marvel it, logo. It and I know it's
1: glorious.
0: Dear God, it's beautiful. I know that because. <laughs> When I first watched this episode, I had to pause and be like, whoa, 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 what is this? So I rewound it back and I started timing it. And sure enough, it was only nine seconds.
1: Well, if they keep this up moving forward, I will apologize for all of the mean things we've said the last several weeks because I saw that too. And I was like, "Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Do that from now on. I apologize for nothing. So
0: we are whisked through timelines in a stunning shot. Again, the visuals in this have been really good. I give this a lot of credit for that. Stunning shots of various branches overrunning the Citadel at the end of time. Miss Minutes is with Renslayer and she is starting stuff. Renslayer is shown a flashback of her and he who remains looking out of the Citadel and talking about how they'll be together in a utopia at the end of time. This is the part of the clip from episode one where Loki hears it in the flashback from the past. He Who Remains says Renslayer made a difference in this war and thanks her for being on his team. Renslayer then opens a portal telling He Who Remains that the TVA awaits their command. As she starts to walk to the portal, He Who Remains says he'll catch up and we kind of know that he's full of crap in this instance because of the way he looks. He Who Remains summons Miss Minutes and tells her to initiate Protocol 42. Execute Order 66 and instructs Miss Minutes to erase Renslayer and eventually everyone's memories. I don't understand how an AI can do that. It confused me a little bit.
1: I am right there with you. The whole, go ahead and erase their memories. How? But also, I kind of like this explanation. He trapped himself there. That was his goal, was to trap himself there. And I'm like, that's interesting. But it also asks so many questions. So Renslayer was his general, but Renslayer and Mobius had a relationship of sorts. They obviously were close at the TVA. Was this something that goes back to the beginning of the TVA? Or is this something that just spawned over time? Like, I I don't understand where we are in the timeline here. Yeah, The show doesn't tell us. So that now just makes me more confused. But I kind of like how he's trapping himself in in the end of time. Yeah.
0: So he remains... Seems remorseful, saying that he's sorry to nobody. Just says it to himself. Renslayer, in shock, begins to piece some of the things together. And Miss Minutes tells her that she was the commander of the army. Renslayer is pissed and asks Miss Minutes what she is proposing. And Miss Minutes says that they don't need He Who Remains, and maybe they never did. If they never did, though, then why didn't we spend an entire episode looking for Victor Timely? What? This is a
1: very good question.
0: At the end of the day, I do know, in reality, it's because Miss Minutes is also pissed because he who remains, or at least Victor Timely, spurned her weird, creepy
1: advances. Uh Yes, that's really true. She's pissy, so that's why she doesn't need him. But why did she think that this dude was going to suddenly... Like, it doesn't make any sense why Miss Minutes would would go all crazy on him like that. All last episode, she's like, he's got a plan. Don't you worry. He who remains has a plan. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, no, his variant doesn't like me. Screw the plan. That wasn't his plan. It was the other guy's plan. We jump to the logos, Uh, 128 Loki logos later. We are back at the TVA with Victor Timely, and he steps out of the portal that we saw him enter last episode. He's in awe of actually being in the TA and looks around at statues of he who remains and then starts to roam the hallways. Over the intercom, a voice says all engineers to temporal core immediately. Victor sees a creepy-looking mural of the Time Lords, B 15 comes by and asks Victor if he's the he who remains variant. Loki and Mobius come rushing in and Victor is immediately on guard. Loki says to come with us and Victor replies. That didn't sound as reassuring as you hoped it would. Mobius jumps in to tell Victor that he can only imagine what Renslayer and Miss Minutes said about him and Loki and says it's not true. Oh!
0: Oh, I'm convinced.
1: Mobius says Victor has to trust them, and they don't really have time to explain why. I really don't have like time to bat this around. I'm kind of on a schedule. i got plans for August. Okay, I need an answer like now. Victor says he's from Chicago. The
0: shadeocracy? shade-ocracy? Yeah, what's a shadeocracy? Because it's not a real word. And I'm I, from Chicago. It, that's what he no, said? Would- we don't call it a shadeocracy.
1: Maybe in 1893, that's what they called the Windy City. I guess so. That wasn't in the
0: history books.
1: It was the Shady City, and then the Shadeocracy, and then the Windy Shade. So he then makes a comment about it being a party, and Sylvie shows up right behind everyone. Victor is starting to lose it a little. He realizes that everyone wants him for some reasons. The TVA wants him. Renslayer wants him. The effervescent clock lady monster thing wants me out. And Victor rightfully says he should have some say as to who he goes with since he is a variant and he's done nothing wrong. Exactly. (laughs) Like everyone keeps treating him like he's the guy, but he is definitely not the guy. He's just one of the guys.
0: I mean, you think that the fact that Loki is on their side, shouldn't they kind of understand that? Loki...
1: And Sylvie are <laughs> standing there. <laughs> like, nice. We keep forgetting that Sylvie is Loki. He's done nothing wrong. He's the dude behind the dude, just looks like another dude. <laughs> Movius agrees, but the lights start to go out, and Victor is wondering if a picture of his loom is on the ground. Loki says yes and says Victor is the only one who can fix it. Take it one step at a time. Identify the problem. Fix it. Find another problem. Fix it. <laughs> In the command
0: sender, Judge Gamble. Who? I'm not gonna lie, I had to look her name up because I completely forgot that she was a character in this. But she gets off an elevator and is wondering about General Dox. B15 says Dox and her crew are in a holding cell, but they can't <laughs> keep her there forever. How come? Why can't
1: they keep her there forever? Isn't that what that cell is for? <laughs> well, it's like a group cell, like it's Do they not have more than one? What's going on? I guess guess that's the only one at the TVA. Here's the weird thing about this season, because at the beginning, the first couple episodes, I kept saying it seems like they've got a bit of a budget now, got all new sets and they're showing the outside and they've got some CGI money that they can give us windows. But now I'm almost wondering, do they? Because now it seems like they're just reusing the same three sets and it's almost like a big bottle episode. Like they don't go anywhere but the three sets that they already built. None of the same sets from last year are back which is weird. B-15
0: is looking for orders from Gamble, but Gamble explains how in the past they would have just pruned everything. Simple, clean, efficient. But then someone told Gamble that the TVA has to change. (laughs) Sarcastically, B-15 asks if they should just forgive and forget, and Gamble says Dox is a general of the TVA and wants to protect it at all costs. Gamble is suggesting that B-15 go convince Doc's and her crew that the new version of the TVA is worth protecting. B-15 thinks it won't change anything, and Gamble says... Don't be so sure of that. Your words changed me.
1: So then Loki, Mobius, Sylvie, and Victor are walking towards the loom, and Victor is wondering if he builds everything at the TVA. Well, I built all of this. Or I did well. Or I will... They're trying to rush Victor to the loom, but he's very curious about everything. Mobius says Victor is there to solve one problem, then he's free to wander all he wants. In the repairs department, Casey Ford, and Obi are trying to figure out how they can get the loom to stop overloading. I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. Much to Obi's confusion, they're at a bit of a loss because they've adjusted everything that they could have. Loki and company walk in with Victor and introduces him to Obi and Caseyford. Victor literally squeals with delight, meeting the famous Ouroboros, the author of the now infamous TVA handbook that was dropped off at his house. Obi then recounts how he learned everything from a brilliant 19th century inventor named Victor Timely, who, if he had the right resources at the time, could have been bigger than Einstein. I don't understand how they know each other. Oh, well, this is I, a paradox. Yeah. This is I a paradox. Yeah. It's Obi learned everything he knew from the TVA handbook that was given to He Who Remains by Miss Minutes and Ravana Renslayer in the past on the sacred timeline. So the question is which came first, the chicken or the egg?
0: Because is it possible that we're kind of dealing with like a Tyler Durden situation where is Ob maybe a He Who Remains variant?
1: I mean, anybody could be a He Who Remains variant, I guess, but I don't know. I sure would have liked an episode where we learned about Ob's past rather than an episode where we wasted time with Brad trying to find Sylvie for no apparent reason.
0: Who knows? Maybe that will be what we dedicate all
1: of episode five to. At this point, episode five could just be the Temple of Doom and we see Ouroboros as a kid who's really short round and they just use the Trouble with Tribble technology to insert Loki and Mobius into Temple of Doom and then Obi now has the chance to fangirl out about Victor and they ask each other to sign each other's books. How adorable. So
0: Sylvie, having heard enough, says... Guys, sorry to... Break up this romance, but can we fix now and sign later? Loki is wondering about the plan, and Obi explains that he and Caseyford have a pretty good plan, but then immediately downgrades it to a plan. He's made a model on the loom and regrets how the model doesn't look okay. I'm honestly embarrassed that Victor is here to see it. I like this part. I thought this part was pretty
1: funny with him. I laughed. Did you catch the Back to the Future reference? Please
0: excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. Yes, yes. I loved it. Obi explains that someone has to take the throughput multiplier down the gangway, load it into the launcher, and hit the green button to launch the multiplier to the loom. Once the throughput multiplier gets launched, it will launch the loom, where it will scale the loom's capacity to manage the backlog of branches that was created when... Someone killed he who remains and released all those branches and ruined my life. Loki, clearly part of the audience, asks what's the connection between the throughput multiplier and the loom. Casey Ford interjects to say that the rings of the loom aren't big enough. The rings need to be bigger so that the branches can fit through. The gigantic problem now is that there is more temporal radiation than when Mobius had to go on the gangway in Episode 1. Mobius volunteers Loki for this. Okay, well, I mean, Loki's really gonna have to hoof it then, right? They start to argue about who the figurine in the model is and the shape of the figurine. Sylvie, representing the audience, stares at the situation the same way that I stare at you, Nick, when you get really going into the weeds about Star Trek stuff.
1: Ooh. he just looked <laughs> utterly lost. And now, this part I really liked. I um, love this part, too. Mobius and Loki back and forth. No, why do I have to go this time? The whole skin thing comes back.
0: Obi says it doesn't matter who it is, they just have to be super fast. The plan is still theoretical because Obi isn't sure the throughput multiplier works yet. Victor knows what the problem is with the design and shows them a prototype, hey of what's needed to make the multiplier work. Victor says if anyone can fix it, it's the two of them. <music> just not case work. Mobius Loki and Sylvie walk out of the loom room so Victor, Obi, and Caseyford can work. He thinks Pi is in order while they wait. Mobius, specifically. Sylvie is enraged by this. She says everything is turning shit. How Mobius doesn't understand what's actually going on with all these branches and is mortified to think that all he can think about is Pi. Loki tries to de-escalate the situation, but Sylvie is just not having it. She mentions how time isn't the same at the TVA. And Sylvie then confronts Mobius about he found out that he's a variant and he hasn't really done anything with it. He's has even looked at his own branches.
1: It's just another bad day at the office for you. Timelines are just lines on a monitor.
0: Mobius is left speechless and Sylvie tells him to enjoy his pie while Loki goes after her. Mobius' backstory has to come back at some point, right? It's got to be something that is addressed. I would hope the final final two episodes. You don't just randomly bring this up multiple times and then don't do anything with it.
1: My theory I'm jumping ahead. My theory for next week is that we are going to open up on Mobius riding a jet ski on the timeline. That's what's going to happen. I can almost guarantee it. Everything is different and we're going to get glimpses of who these people were before they joined the TVA, but That's what I think they're gonna do. My hope is that we actually just see what Mobius' backstory is. So back in the holding cell, Brad is wondering if Docs is going to say anything. He's trying to rally the troops to get them to figure out a plan. They have no weapons, they don't have numbers. We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! Brad thinks if they put their heads together, they could figure out how to get out of the cell and back to their lives. And Dox is just not having it. Brad says he doesn't want to die in this cell, but Dox knows that Brad sold out their plan to prune all the branches. We all know about your escapades as an actor, Brad. So Brad immediately shuts up, and this is who I picked for my He Who Remains in episode two, because Brad was awesome at the end of episode two, not so much anymore. Just want to casually remind you of that. Yeah. Thank you for that. No problem. problem. Appreciate it. Uh-huh. Brad says he earned his life and that everyone in this room earned their lives or rather a potential life. Brad confronts Docs about if she's earned her life. And she says no, because she knows she still has a job to do. B-15 comes into the cell with D-90 and Docs immediately says they don't have the authority to keep everyone in there. B-15 says she doesn't want any of this. Dox cares about the TVA, so B-15 thinks. B-15 asks for Dox and her team's help to protect the TVA from Renslayer or worse. Dox is unsure and wants to know how she can trust her. B-15 says she cares about the TVA and all the people in it. They share a common goal, and B-15 suggests to Dox that she should trust her. As B-15 and D-90 are walking out of the cell, D-90 is wondering what they will do if Doc's and her crew doesn't go for their plan, B fifteen tells D ninety to help Mobius keep an eye on Victor. I hated this scene, absolutely hated it. I do not understand its purpose. Why I should care about anybody's opinion in that room. B fifteen at this point, episode four, wasted, completely wasted in the season. The only thing she has going for her right now is we know that she doesn't want to prune timelines because she understands that those are people and that's it. And Docs does want to prune timelines because look at around you. The freaking place is about to explode because this thing can't handle all these timelines. But then I guess I'm thinking that the whole loom thing is just keeping a sacred timeline and that prior to the loom existing, there was never a loom and there was always just timelines branching everywhere. So, Loki wants to stop he who remains variants from becoming everywhere. So, he's okay with the extra timelines so long as the loom is containing them, but he's not okay if the loom breaks and these timelines just multiply infinitely. So, I thought this part was just fine. I didn't think it
0: was like the greatest part ever, but. I think this scene is just going to show how Dox is being influenced by B-15's whole notion that, hey, we need to change. That's her big thing, is change. The TVA can't just keep doing the same thing. She's going to be an agent for change. That's the hill she wants to die on for this, and her presence just continually reinforces that. And Dox as a character, as we're going to talk about soon, is just pointless. Is nicely just- in your
1: pocket? This whole scene would matter to me if the scene that comes later didn't happen. I feel like this whole scene is just a useless waste of time because ultimately it means nothing.
0: Sylvie has found her way to the pie room that she just gave Mobius a lot of crap for wanting to be there. Loki walks in and Sylvie explains. I took a wrong turn. Didn't plan on coming to pie land she knows Loki has something to say, so Loki explains how Mobius is trying to see through the dark like the rest of them. He also reminds Sylvie that he asked for her help a couple of episodes ago and she walked away. Sylvie tries to back on how she came back to the TVA and Loki calls her out, saying that she's only there because she couldn't kill Victor. She says that she couldn't kill Victor because he looked so scared, whereas he who remains didn't, or maybe he was and she just didn't notice. Loki explains to Sylvie the entire plot of the first Thor movie. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy.
1: You are an old man and a fool.
0: And how Thor was a changed person when he got back from Earth. Loki saw this as weakness and mocked him, saying that he went soft. Sylvie says softness gets you killed, but Loki says because she spared Victor's life, the TVA and those branches are going to live, and those lives are spared for now. Sylvie is skeptical about the amount of faith Loki is putting on Victor, Ob, and Caseyford, and still hasn't forgiven the TVA because Doc's pruned all those timelines. Loki points out all the timelines that were saved because of Mobius and B-15 and Ob and Caseyford. Sylvie still isn't convinced though and asks Loki what if he's wrong to believe in the TVA and how it would be easier to burn the TVA to the ground and start from scratch. Loki points out how annihilating is easy and raising things to the ground is easy but Trying to fix what's broken is hard. Hope is hard. So I did like this line. I think it's going to be one of those lines kind of in the same vein as Vision. They're saying, you know, what is grief but love persevering? That this whole notion that It's much harder to hope for things than it is to just burn things to the ground. This part
1: got to me. I liked this part as well. It is a little tropey, but I think that Hiddleston sells it. And as we've said a dozen times, insert obligatory. Tom Hiddleston is the best in the show. Comment here. He really is. He's carrying this show with the help of Owen Wilson, and they're just knocking it out of the park with every scene. He makes what I consider to be a very cliche thing to say. He makes it emotional and invests me in what he's going to do then.
0: Could an argument be made that Tom Hiddleston's performance as Loki throughout the course of the entire MCU is among one of the best? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everybody. Good for you, Marvel. Keep giving him stuff. Slightly convinced, Sylvie says they have to hope that Victor can help them. That the TVA can turn into something good and hope that Victor doesn't turn into he who remains or someone worse. Everybody got that? She points out that's a lot of hoping and she didn't pick Loki for an optimist and Loki says it's the best option that they have. Sylvie wonders what's the plan for Victor after that. He's being shown everything behind the curtains and then just sending him back to Chicago. Loki suggests that they can protect him but Sylvie thinks that this is a betrayal of free will. Loki suggests that that's not how free will should work and it's up to them to do better than he who remains. Sylvie says whatever we do it sounds like we're playing God and Loki replies we are gods
1: ray when someone asks you if you're a god you say yes so, yeah they are so i think uh, sylvie forgot that she's a loki i think that's the problem don't you forget who you are
0: after spending years in a mcdonald's
1: i lose myself in a mcdonald's every day back in the cell, Rad is trying to convince Dox and her team to help figure out a way to escape, because they're going to get pruned when they aren't needed. Dox believes B-15 has integrity, though. She doesn't need to agree with her to know that. Rad doesn't trust B-15, but a portal suddenly opens up, because apparently, Renslayer has portals now, and isn't quite as trapped as we all thought she was last week. So, Renslayer and Miss Minutes come bouncing out of the portal, and Dox Is wondering where B-15 is when Renslayer says that she's enacting her plan to control the TVA. Wrong, 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 wrong. She thinks if everyone in the cell works together, they can stop B-15 and protect the TVA. The only thing you want to protect is yourself, Ravona. Dox then looks at Miss Minutes and says how disappointed she is. Dox apparently is a parent. Although, I have to say, with the way that she put her forehead on Brad in episode one, I was wondering if she was Brad's parent. That was a thread that was just dropped. Yeah, it (laughs) It didn't matter.
0: I think we were afraid of that when that came up. This has to be something. And then I think you eventually (laughs) came to the conclusion, it's like, it's probably not.
1: Yeah, not with the way that this season has been going. I'll be very surprised if that comes back later, especially about after what I'm about to say. So Renslayer (laughs) points out how she's been gone for mere days and the TVA is about to become a crater in the cosmos led by two variants. She's wondering if that's what they want. Brad asks what her plan is. Renslayer says anyone who joins her and follows her through the portal to help restore order to the TVA will be allowed a place anywhere on the timeline they want, if they so choose. Brad clearly wants his life back, but everyone else refuses. Renslayer is disappointed, saying she thought they could see the bigger picture. Miss Minutes then turns on the box shrinking machine. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, is it called
0: anything else? Those are the best that I could come up with. Docs in a box? Ah, that's it. We're done. That's all we can do. Docs in a box.
1: The Docs box.
0: Hashtag Docs
1: box. Yeah, well, she turns on the Dox box and uh, (laughs) let's just say they're all going to be a lot thinner. Dox is finally seeing the big picture and Brad is asking Renslayer to stop what she's doing. Dox is wondering to Brad if life on the timeline was that good. The box surrounds Dox and her team and starts to shrink. Dox then says, How does it feel knowing that all of us here would rather die and follow you out that door. Miss Minutes looks crazy in the background. <laughs> just the smile and just... oh, it's... She was like super excited to finally see how this box works. She was thrilled like Shaq's getting told he can eject the warp core. As, so as the box closes in on Docs and the rest of her team, Brad looks away in horror as the screams of everyone engulfs the room. They're all killed... And Brad goes out the portal with Renslayer and Miss Minutes. So my question, did they leave the box or did they turn it off and everything poured out of the box a la Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street?
0: Well, because if you think about it, B-15 goes in and discovers this situation. How funny would that be if it's just a small cube and that's it? She just goes in and she just like
1: oh i suppose they do show it from b15's perspective and they never show us so it's like it's a horror show this is once again the new guys puking in the corner (laughs) (laughs) and all of this could have been avoided if b15 had just not Tried to save money on brake uh, pads.
0: Back in the repairs department, OB, Caseyford, and Victor are finishing the throughput multiplier with Victor's addition. It looks spectacular. Mobius
1: Lee walks in. Similar to what it looked like. Yes. <laughs>
0: Mobius walks in to ask how they're doing, and Victor says everything is going according to plan. Victor wonders what Mobius is holding, and he says, This little Mobius picked me up, courtesy of the Hot Cocoa Machine. Casey Ford says that diagnostics and some of the network is starting to go down, and Victor is inquiring about the hot cocoa machine. Suddenly all the tempats stop working. Mobius tells D90 to take Victor to go see the hot cocoa machine since Victor is so interested in it. B-15 gets back to the holding cell to find everybody
1: dead. He gets back to find Docs in a box. That's imagine that's a- if it was Docs in a box eating locks.
0: She tries to get in touch with Mobius on her tempad, pad and Miss minute says, access denied. Uh-uh. you didn't say the magic word. D90 takes Victor to the hot cocoa machine where he tries to get the hot cocoa to the very top of the cup, just like any child would.
1: No waste, the hot cocoa. Suddenly, D90 is pruned from behind and Brad says he's sorry. Asshole, major asshole. Where did Brad come from? Like, we had a pretty solid shot on D90 the whole time. It was movie trickery, I tell you, because there's no way he was just there. I don't like that.
0: You'd think that we would have seen at minimum the portal or something, because the last that we saw saw Brad, he was leaving the cell with Renslayer and Miss Minutes, so the magic of movies. Brad has Victor and wants to know where the throughput multiplier is. Back in the repair shop, OB is concerned that all the files are being corrupted in real time. OB wonders if Mobius downloaded unauthorized games again, and Mobius replies, He's not going to make that same mistake twice.
1: Unauthorized. Games. Games. <laughs> games. Games. Yeah. Sure. Now available on Disney+. Plus. That feels like
0: an edit that you would see on like a hard R movie on basic cable. Casey Furt (laughs) sees that something is messing with the temp pads and the same Miss Minutes access denied message comes up. Obi figures out that Miss Minutes has taken control of the system. Why didn't Miss Minutes do this sooner?
1: This 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 was something she could have always done. Like, why not just do that first? How about instead of leaving the TVA to go find, to take Renslayer to find who remains and give him the book, how about you take over the TVA with your magical powers and then go so that way it doesn't turn to shit while you're gone and you have to fix everything when you get back. Bobby suggests he grab the multiplier and grab Victor
0: and then run to the hot cocoa machine. Everyone converges on the hot cocoa machine to find Victor is gone, Miss Minutes is back, and Dox is in a box.
1: That's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds.
0: Sylvie thinks, correctly, that Renslayer is behind this. The device is ready, but they need to find Victor so that they can use his temporal aura to open the blast doors to get to the loom. Loki, who picks up the pruner, thinks Renslayer is still in the TVA because the TVA is what she wants.
1: Now I'm thinking, why didn't they just go back in time to earlier when he who remains was younger and just grab that one? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, like, so many explanations is what they should have done. Anyways, Brad takes Victor to the war room where there's clearly no fighting and also Renslayer is there. Miss Minutes looks pissed to see him and Victor replies. Thank God. You're both okay. Renslayer is tired of listening to Victor's lies. What lies? They barely know each other.
0: They met him an hour ago. Is she projecting the he who remains variants
1: thing on him? I guess he was a bit of a quick talker back in Chicago. But like Miss Minutes wasn't on the receiving end of that. She says he can only speak when she says he can. All she wants to know is where the throughput multiplier is. Victor asks, if she doesn't like the answer, what then? Renslayer says she's going to instruct Brad to find a very thorough and painful way to kill him. Ooh, that wasn't very nice. Victor buys some time by saying Renslayer and Miss Minutes are going to like what he has to say. We are treated
0: to a beautiful shot of the loom that looks like it's just about to give up. This is a pretty gorgeous shot. I did like this a lot. All the shots of the loom are really outstanding. Cut to Loki and Sylvie running towards the elevator, and as soon as this happens, I knew exactly where this was going. The elevator door closes as the security camera notices what Loki and Sylvie are doing. Sylvie suggests that Loki take the stairs to where he needs to be. Back in the loom room, the blast doors are still closed and Mobius, Casey, Ford, and B-15 don't have a way to get into the loom, which doesn't sound good. Yeah, that sounds like a noise you want to hear from farther away. Loki is seen running through the halls of the TVA, only to find that it's not Loki from now anymore. It's Loki in episode one who needs to prune himself to get the blast doors to shut in the first place. Miss Minutes traps Sylvie in the elevator, but she figures out a way to open it back up. Loki from episode one is back by the elevator where Sylvie is opening the elevator doors. Loki in this episode with his pruning stick sees the Loki from episode one and realizes he needs to prune him in order for their plan in episode one to work. Nick, would you like to take a bow now for your correct prediction? I am the smartest man alive! Even though this is an audio podcast?
1: Oh, I hope you can see this because I'm doing it as hard as I can. I called this! But I mean, it was kind of obvious. But yeah, no, that one felt good. I got to that part of the episode. I was like, ha!
0: Sylvia is confused about why Loki needed to prune the other Loki and says he promises this will all make sense. The phone oh, rings. No, he
1: doesn't have to explain it to us. This is the one time when they showed and didn't tell. Rings- Although they probably will. Sorry. They probably yeah. will tell. Next week, they'll explain it all. Phone rings and Loki picks it up to find OB on the line. Loki
0: says Miss Minutes is sabotaging everything. OB then says, He can take her offline if he reboots the system. Mobius is wondering, what do they have to lose? And Obi says, the security protocols will go down along with the dampeners to prevent magic from being used in the TBA. Loki and Sylvie both say... Turn it
1: off! I could not believe that that was an option from the start. What are we doing, guys? Like, oh my goodness. I mean, I granted... They get a pass because it seems like only OB knew that that was doable. But still, I was like, what the hell? Uh, Back in a place where there's no fighting, the war room, Victor is showing Renslayer, Brad and Miss Minutes where the multiplier goes. Brad recognizes that Victor is stalling and Renslayer pressures him to cut to the chase. And unfortunately, Renslayer, this show does not like doing that. So unless you have an actual chase on your hands, you're out of luck. Miss minute starts to glitch and realizes someone is starting to reboot the system. She's being taken offline and she's losing her cognitive faculties. She then says she needs to tell Victor something. And as she's glitching, she says, he'll never be he who remains. You are a
0: mean girl. That's such a bitchy thing to say as your last right? thing. Right? So passive aggressive, so spiteful. I kind of loved it.
1: It was so petty. like never she got all here. analog. And with that, Miss Minutes is now completely offline and she disappears. The lights go out completely and Renslayer tells Brad to go find out what happened. In the hallway, Brad encounters Loki. What do you say, X-Five? Fancy a rematch? And Sylvie sneaks up behind him to enchant him. I liked how he walks up and Loki is just like, come and get me, baby. Mm -hmm. Oh, guess what? (laughs) Somebody's got their power. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that. Sylvie sneaks up behind and enchants him. The lights come back on, and the enchanted Brad goes back into the war room. Not to fight, but to tell Renslayer that he didn't think that he would see her again so soon. Of course, that Sylvie talking through Brad, and I particularly loved Brad's mannerisms being possessed by Sylvie. Loki and Sylvie grab Victor and run towards the elevator. Just then, Brad prunes Renslayer in a rather quick fashion and then snaps out of the enchantment.
0: Everybody else, when they get pruned, they look like they're suffering. Renslayer goes out like that.
1: But then with Renslayer, I was like, okay. When you get pruned, you go to the end of time with Eliath, and Eliath tries to eat you. But just because you go to the end of time doesn't mean that you're technically gone. But then is Eliath still there? Because Sylvie and Loki kind of took care of him. And I also kind of... Felt like maybe he who remains was controlling Elioth. So with him gone, like, wouldn't they just go right back to being in the place? And also Renslayer can apparently transport herself out of places. So would pruning her even do anything or just get her out of the way for now? Like, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to feel like, oh, no, or that's just inconvenient for her. All right, on to the home stretch.
0: In the loom room, Obi is looking at the device that scans the temporal aura when Loki and Sylvie arrive with Victor, who has his aura scan and the blast doors are open. This shot of Loki looking at the loom, it's going to go down as one of the pretty shots in all of Marvel because it's Loki looking at the loom. Everybody else is around him and it just looks super bright. I love it. It was really great. Obi comments that it's worse than he thought, and they have to move fast. He's wondering who's it going to be that's going to go outside, and Loki volunteers. Victor says he'll do it, though, since he's got more knowledge about what to do if something goes wrong. Time to be brave. Good luck. Victor puts on the suit and says that he's ready. The door opens, and Victor charges out only for him to instantly disintegrate into Spaghetti. And
1: I'm not going to lie, I laughed so hard during this part. I thought that was pretty funny as well. And I'm not 100% sure the show wanted me to think so. (laughs) Oh, God. This is the third time that we've gotten spaghetti Mm -hmm. in the MCU. And I don't know if that's an intentional choice or what. But it seems weird that they keep disintegrating people spaghetti style. Ant-Man, okay, there's that Kang connection. But then what was up with Mr. Fantastic in Multiverse of Madness? Just spaghetti pop.
0: Maybe it's Marvel's way of saying, yeah, this guy ain't coming back. Ever. Goodbye, John Krasinski. (laughs) Goodbye. Everyone is completely shocked to see that Victor died. Everyone is trying to figure out what to do next, but Loki realizes he really doesn't need to know what to do next. The loom fails. Then the explosion is hurtling towards them. camera moves into a slow close-up of Loki's face on the verge of tears as he braces for impact of the explosion. Then it cuts to black. Which cuts to white. I thought it cuts (laughs) to black at first, and then it goes into the
1: closing credits. Oh, I thought it went white first. I really like this ending. I like it a lot. I do too. It's oh, yeah. two episodes too late, but I do like the ending. Yes, <laughs> very much so.
0: So, Nick, what do you think of this episode?
1: I felt like this episode was a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of good in here, but there's just a lot of fluff and filler. Almost none of it needed to happen. I'm so confused by why they're structuring the season the way that they are, when it's so clear... They want to tell a specific story, but for the last three episodes, they've just been kind of like running around with chickens with their head cut off. It doesn't really tell a good, cohesive story. And you could very much like Killers of the Flower Moon, chop out most of episodes two, three and four and give a really good single episode of solid story to give yourself more runway for the finale. Or give us a better episode, like a backstory episode where we learn a little bit more about these characters. I might feel something if when B-15 says to Docs her speech, but it isn't the second time we've ever seen them in a room together. Like they spoke to each other as though they always had this conflict. But all we've ever seen is that one scene in the very first episode of them having a conflict. I don't know these new characters enough to care about them, let alone the ones that we did see from last year having any kind of interactions with them. It just doesn't make any sense to me what they're doing. And I honestly doubt we're going to ever get more of it. So, like, whatever these last two episodes are going to be, I'm very curious now that they've kind of blown up the show because they kind of have, like, the sky's the limit. They can do anything. They can go weird or they can... Do more of the same, but I honestly think that it's going to be a big left turn. And if they're smart, the left turn is going to veer into Secret Wars territory or at the very least Kang Dynasty territory. Like this should set something up. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be annoyed. Those are my thoughts of the
0: episode. I feel like it's going to set something up. So I like this episode. I thought it was good. There were some scenes that they could have cut out. I kind of am out of the same boat as you. Is it is it a little too too little too late? I think at this point, and it just kind of makes me wonder why Marvel just stuck to their guns and just stuck with six episodes. Because I feel like you either make this six better and more cohesive episodes, or you expand this out and give us more context for what they're doing. Either way, I I don't understand Marvel' insistence on
1: relying on this six episode structure. Marvel stuff. I don't get it, but it's not even just Marvel stuff. Like Obi-Wan and Boba Fett had the exact same problem. In both instances, they didn't have enough story to fill six episodes. And I'm sitting there going, why is this six episodes then? If you need to make one whole episode, a Mandalorian episode for your show to make sense, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like it's a Disney plus problem. They got it in their heads that they wanted to do mini series but no one ever told them that you know, for a miniseries to work, it has to actually be good, like, <laughs> like have enough content to fill. it. like, and it. I don't know why they all they they cookie these cookie cutter. It has to be this many episodes. If you only have four episodes, just do four episodes. It would have made them have to tighten the story up and not run around like chickens with their heads cut off. And I feel like that is becoming a problem with a lot of streaming nowadays. Where sometimes you get, like, a beautiful 10-episode arc that works 100%, and other times you get not a mess. That, not bad. Yeah, that. not bad indeed. So, let's talk
0: about our favorite characters, and let's go with our He Who Remains award.
1: I'll take you home and lock you in a nice little cage, and never, never, ever let you out. Ever- Do you imprison everything you like? Of course. He's so sexy. The Moopsie is Nars' favorite. Moopsie.
0: In this segment, we pick a character from the episode who we would go past Elioth and get to the Citadel of Time. So, Nick, who is your he-who-remains for this week, if you even have one?
1: <laughs> well, it's going to be a default to either Mobius or Loki this week. I, I'm bouncing back and forth between the two because I really did enjoy Mobius... Telling Loki, well, I'm volunteering you for this one. But then you really reminded me that Loki has that great moment in the middle. Mm, It's tough. I I think I'm going to go with Mobius because in the end, he made me laugh. And therefore, that trumps up everything else. He really likes his skin right where it is. There's a small part of me that wants to pick Victor
0: for this. Mainly because... The part where he dies so unceremoniously reminds me a lot of how Samuel L. Jackson dies in the movie Deep Blue Sea. Gives a rousing speech, just tries to be brave, and then all of a sudden he just dies. But I think I'm actually going to give this to Sylvie. And the reason why is because she had so many moments where she's just looking at the situation with just a weird look. She's channeling how I'm feeling about the situation now. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Sylvie on this. Plus, also, I can't pick OB for each one, but the line where he says, but somebody killed him and messed everything up and ruined my life.
1: I I loved that line. Uh, And he's just looking at Sylvie. He's like, this is all your fault. (laughs) It it ruined his life. Until they did that, he was just chilling, hanging out in the repair bay (laughs) or whatever. Just hanging out. All right. So that's going to do
0: it for He Who Remains. And we got a bit of an announcement. So we are skipping the Sacred Timeline for this week. And we're moving the Sacred Timeline for the last two parts to... Next episode, we'll do 16 through 9. And then the episode after that, which will be this season finale, we'll do 8 through 1. And we're going to spin off the coming together of a list because I don't know why you and I thought that we could do... The final episode, final thoughts (laughs) on the series, and coming up with this list, considering how spread out
1: our lists are in one episode. I don't understand how... Because we're crazy. We're a bunch of crazy kids with crazy ideas who think we can own the world. So we're skipping it this week.
0: So, Nick, what do we got coming up
1: next week? Well, next week... Next week will be Season 2, Episode 5, Title Not Found. Love that title. So good. It's a great title. Every week. It's a bold move naming your episodes that every single week. But that won't be the next episode in your podcast feed. Tune in Tuesday as we bring you the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4. Episode 10, also Title Not Found. But... It's sure to be a banger. I'll I'll tell you that much. Bold prediction there. Until next time, please like, subscribe, yell at a friend for wanting a slice of pie, share the podcast, and rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. Also, you can find us on social media. I'm on Blue Sky, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Jagged2319. A little
0: disappointed you didn't do a docs in the box thing, but whatever, it's fine. <sighs> nope, too late. I am on Instagram, threads, blue sky, and serialized at ML 2452. You can also contact the show at geekspeaklouder at gmail.com or on blue skies at geekspeaklouder.bsky.social or just by searching Geekspeak Louder Than Nerds. Join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at Geeks Speak Loud because the err was just too many characters for Elon
1: Musk. Until next time, I'm Mike Hilty. And I'm Nick Farrow. Thank you for tuning in to Geeks Speak Louder Than Nerds. Bye, Catch, everybody. Catchphrase. Docs in a box.